Ephesians, the third chapter. Now, if you'll notice the way we ended up the last two chapters, it goes from heavenly doctrine to the church. Both of them have ended up that way. That's what I said a long time ago. The book of Ephesians is first and foremost a church book. Now many people, we talked about the reformers and all that, they love to get into the first part of the first chapter and a little bit of the second, but they leave the rest of it alone. Well, you really can't do that because this is a whole epistle that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. All right, so <clears throat> both of them ends up, chapter one, he put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, the filth of all and all. And then chapter two, now verse 19, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Those are God's people, but they're Gentiles and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He's talking about his church. He's not talking about salvation there. He's talking about his church and whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation, a dwelling of God through the Spirit. Now, this is the kind of church that Jesus built. Is this true for every so-called church? Even those that lay no claim, can lay no claim to being the kind of church that Jesus built. No, it is not true for them. Uh, I think we had a little debate here not many years ago over this. We can't be inclusive where God is not. And if God doesn't include, then we have no business attempting to include. We must go with what God. This is like the Lord's Supper. It is the Lord's Supper. Amen? Amen? Not ours. And how can we invite somebody to participate in the Lord's Supper that the Lord has not invited? You can't do that. I mean, I could say, let's all meet over at Charlene's house. After church, and we'll all eat over there tonight. I could do that, but that's not a legitimate invitation because she didn't authorize me. Did you, you didn't authorize me to do that, did you? Okay, <laughs> okay. But but that wouldn't be a legitimate invitation. I had no authority to make that invitation. Uh, so uh, her supper, Lester's supper, they've got a right to invite whoever they want to to it. And I can't invite somebody to the Lord's Supper that the Lord hasn't invited. Right. Well, 
And when you read, read the Bible, 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, couldn't have anything more terse, direct, dealing with the Lord's Supper there. He says that the church at Corinth, they could not take the Lord's Supper unless they exercised discipline over these errant members. He told the church that with such a one know not to eat. And that's what he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Well, I believe this is a first and foremost point on whether the Lord's Supper is open, close, or closed. And I believe it's closed. But this is the main major point. It's seldom ever made. If the church has no disciplinary authority over you, you cannot observe the Lord's Supper with that church. Amen. You cannot do it. And I could put it like this. If we can't exclude you, we can't include you. We have no disciplinary authority. So how can you open the Lord's Supper up? Now, I think that's about the most sensible scriptural reasoning that you can have on it. You never hear that point. You never hear that point. Matter of fact, most of them talk about it. They don't ever mention it. They don't even talk about that. And I believe that's the major point, the first and foremost point. But anyway, but words do matter. The word of God matters, and what it says does matter. And I want these young people to realize, just because everybody in that world, or everybody on that phone, or on that computer, they, they may tell you that things don't matter. Don't listen to them. Listen to the word of God. And if this is not true because I say it. It's true because God says it. So, anyway. In this Chapter now, verse chapter 3, Paul says, for this cause, or for this reason. Well, what has he just finished up with? What we just read. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, he's, he's a servant, bond servant of Jesus Christ. He's a prisoner. Self-imposed, but he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And that's for you Gentiles. That's the people at Ephesus. See, now, how many Jews were there? I don't know if there were any. There could be some, but not, not many. These are Gentiles, and that's who he's writing to. He says, and so I am the apostle that God has sent to the Gentiles. And you're the Gentiles. So, he says, now if you have heard of the dispensation, that's oikonomos, that's a administration, that's a house law of the grace of God, which has given me to you word. Look over at first uh, Peter. A little just for curiosity's sake. 
Or Second Peter, I'm sorry. Chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, see, words matter. So if you read the words here, you cannot take from this what the majority of people do take from it. And I hear it fairly often that God's not willing that anybody should perish. Well, if he's not, why is hell enlarging itself? God, God is, he does all things after the counsel of his own will. If it's God's will that nobody die and go to hell, nobody ain't going to die and go to hell. But that's just not true. Well, let's look at the words here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to whom? Us word. That is his elect. All right, so you've got us word. And then here Paul says, to you word. See, that kind of language is common us were, you were, towards us. That's what those words mean. He said the dispensation or the ministry of the grace of God, which has given me to you were, the Gentiles. Okay. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words. Now, we don't have the writings of Paul that he referred to here. He said, I wrote afore in few words. Look over 1 Corinthians 5. He tells the church of Corinth, he said, verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. The point is, I wrote unto you in a letter, another letter, to not do this. We don't have that letter. So did Paul write anything that doesn't appear in the Bible? Yes. And we've had a couple of references to it. We don't necessarily have that. And those are not lost scriptures. If the Lord wanted us to have them, we would have them. All right. So when somebody says they've got lost, discovered lost books of the Bible, they're lying. There are no lost books of the Bible. Okay. Now, he says, now, the revelation, by revelation he made known unto me, the mystery. Look just back a little bit at Galatians, the first chapter. Verse 11, chapter 1 of Galatians. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of or by me is not after man. 
Well, where did you get that gospel, Paul? He says, I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's referring to over here. He said, uh, the revelation, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. That's what he's talking about. Now, the Catholic Church has many mysteries. mysteries and you ain't going to find them out. When Paul talks about a mystery, it was a mystery until the Lord revealed it. It's no longer a mystery. All right. We don't have. Let's see. See if I can think of these terms. Anybody ever heard of the Eleusinian mysteries? Anybody ever heard of them? Well, that'd be what the Masons would get involved in. And the Catholics would get involved in all of those mysteries. Ooh. But God's not involved in anything like that. The Word of God is not involved in anything like that. <clears throat> now, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Is Paul well schooled in the gospel? And the word of God. And that's what he's talking about. That you may understand my knowledge. He's not bragging. He's making a statement of fact. He spent three years being tutored by the greatest teacher of eternity. Jesus Christ. Uh, Plato. Socrates. Aristotle, Bill Nye, all of those teachers put together couldn't come up with one thimbleful compared to what our Lord has. He has it all. And Paul, now you talk about concentrating. What if the Lord's providing food for you and you could spend three years being tutored by the Lord. Do you think that you would be knowledgeable in the mysteries of the doctrines of God? Of course you would be. And Paul was. And we needed him to be. And that's why we've got him. <clears throat> anyway. Which... That is the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. Doesn't mean it didn't exist. It was not made known in one sense, in one sense only. There is such a thing as progressive revelation. Now, Progressive revelation is over with. It's not, it's not continuing on. Heresies are when you say it's continuing on, 
And that's what the liberals do. Well, the Bible is still being interpreted. The Bible is still being understood. Now, progressive revelation is this, that the purpose of God is from eternity, but by bits and pieces and various ways, God has revealed it through the ages until now when Jesus Christ came, it was all revealed. So the progressive revelation is over with. So if anybody says they believe in progressive revelation, well, that, 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 they've got a counterpart to that. Uh, most of them are found in Washington, D.C., under the heading Democrat. Judges, politicians, who believe that the Constitution of the United States of America is a living, breathing document. Well, I've got copies of the Constitution, and they're right where they have been. And they don't move unless I move them, or somebody else. And I never heard of one of them taking a breath. The Constitution is not a living, breathing. You got to be careful, people like that. They're dangerous. Because what they're meaning is that Constitution ain't worth the paper it's written on. We're going to change that booger. And that's what they're trying to do. Well, the Bible is not a living, breathing document in that sense. Now, it is wholly inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is the Word of God. And these words are life. But not in that sense. Because if they don't speak according to the testimony of the words of this book, it's because there's no light in them. And this book has not changed. That's why, as far as I'm concerned, you can take all of the translations and do away with them. Would never affect me one iota. Would you? I've got a few of them. I don't have them all. I've got a few of them in my library. I didn't buy them. People gave me. And I use them to tear them down. But I don't use them to study from them. I know a little bit of Greek and a little bit of Hebrew. I can do pretty well on my own. And I certainly don't need some heretic making his interpretation or translation of the scriptures and passing it off to me as the word of God. I don't need it, don't want it. You can't give it to me. Your ESVs and all of that. I've got what I've got right here, the King James. That's all we're going to have. Don't need anything else. Brother Brown always said you need three books to study the Bible. You need the King James Bible. That is, providing you speak English. You need a King James Bible. You need a good English dictionary and a good Bible concordance. Now, see, you can get a, the basic concordance of the Youngs and the Strongs. Is Cruden's. That was the original one. And he doesn't have any interpretation there at all. He's just got the scripture where you find them. 
So you can take a Cruden's Concordance, a Webster's Dictionary, a good English Dictionary, and a King James Bible and do all the studying you want to do. You don't need all them books. That's all you need. Don't need a don't need an ESV, AVS, and R A V and uh, uh, what's the rest? Of, I don't even know all the numbers. NIV. Yeah, NIV, uh, Good News, all that garbage. Uh, anyway, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed. Didn't say didn't know it all, but as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God. So that the Gentiles, or this that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So here we go with the Gentiles. Now, Whereof I was made a minister, that is, Paul was, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Paul is very careful to attribute the power to God. All of it. And that's unto me. Now here's Paul's opinion of himself. He wasn't egotistical. He wasn't a narcissist. You know that word? <laughs> Narcissus, they said he used to go to the river or lake or whatever, and he'd see his reflection in, in the water. It was clear water. He'd see his reflection in the water. And he fell hopelessly in love with himself. <laughs> That's, what a, that's where that word comes from, Narcissus. Paul wasn't in love with himself. So he says, unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Now I don't think that's a a phony humility. I think it's real humility. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? He didn't say you couldn't know anything about the Lord. He said it's just unsearchable. You can't get to the bottom of it. It can go on and on and on, and it does go on and on and on. So, Paul said that I don't deserve what I've got, that I can preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. We're going to search the bottom of them. <clears throat> and to make all men, men is in italics, but make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now that's a mouthful there. From the beginning, 
<clears throat> when was the beginning? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Later on, it's called heavens. There it's called heaven. King James, I think, is the only one that does that. And that's right. They're right. The King James is right on that. Anyway, so the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of everything that we know in this world. What do we know about before the beginning? All we know is God. God is. We don't know anything about that other than, other than that. He is the eternal self-existent one. Nobody created God. He is self-existent. Now, I can't explain that. Nobody else can. But this is the truth. Now, I, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but I heard it. I heard it on the television. Uh, oh, I, it must be on that Channel 75 that you get all that BBC and get all that uh, nature stuff. And I like most of that, except when they start talking about their ungodly uh, evolution. But they talk about Prehistoric animals. Prehistoric. According to the Bible, there's no prehistoric at all. There's no prehistoric of anything. No animals, no humans, no earth, no planets, nothing prehistoric. Because in the beginning... God created everything that is. Therefore, where is the prehistoric? You'd have to throw away the majority of textbooks if you got rid of that prehistoric thing. Especially the science, so-called science textbooks. Well, the Bible talks about that. Science falsely so-called. <clears throat> so, To make all men see what is the mystery. The fellowship of the mystery which be from the beginning of the world. You can't go back beyond there. And there's no doubt what Paul's talking about there. Hath been hid in God. In the purpose of God. Who created how many? How many things did he create? All of them. You say, well, did dinosaurs live with human beings? Of course. They may not have laid down in a haystack together. But they were on this earth at the same time. He said, well, are, are dinosaurs older than men? Yeah, a few hours. He made all land animals on the sixth day, didn't he? And then the last thing he made was Adam and Eve. So there's, I don't know how many hours. Anybody know how many hours difference there? 
if a day's got 12 hours in it, then, it, you know, it couldn't be very long. So how, how much, I mean, it's not like the dinosaurs are 65 million years died out that long ago, and man just came into existence 800,000 years ago, however they claim. It's all just so phony. There's nothing real about it. They're all, well, when you try to tell somebody that your opinion is an absolute fact, you turn that into a lie. Now, I can give you my opinion. As long as I tell you it's my opinion, this is what I think. That's not a lie. That's me telling you my opinion. And you can believe it or not. But when I take a daggone idea, a stupid idea, and pass it off as a scientific fact, I'm one of the worst liars in existence. That's diabolical. And that's all these, uh, you know, the uh, layers of earth. Mesozoic and all those layers. You, you've seen those in textbooks, in science textbooks. Everybody know what I'm talking about, all those different layers. Uh, well, you got you got the Jurassic and... Got all those different layers. And this is so many millions, and this is so many millions, this is so many millions of years. Do you know where they have found that cutout of earth? They drew it in a textbook. It doesn't exist any place on the face of the earth. Now, whatever's in those layers, you may find that bottom layer up on top, or vice versa. What would that indicate? A global flood? Topsy-turvy? See all these layers of rock that are bent double? You got them going right down I-75. You go up Indian Mountain in Tennessee, just after you get over the Jellico Mountain. And you go over there, you look, you look at those rocks, the way they go up like that. How did those layers of hard rock, how did they get bent without broken? You think you could take a layer of rock and bend it without breaking it? Couldn't do it. How did they get bent? It's in the flood. Because hot water and hundreds of feet of water and all of that pressure and then the layers and all, that's where it all came from. So the point, the point I'm just making here is that there is nothing prehistoric. Everything goes back to Genesis 1, everything, everything that is. And so now, all of that, who created all things by Jesus Christ, from the beginning of the world, all of that is to the intent, for the purpose. Now, unto the principalities and powers, in heavenly places, places in italics, in the heavenlies might be known by the church. There we go again. The manifold wisdom of God. On your engines, 
I guess they still got them. They surely have to have them. Not on a, these stupid electric cars, but on a gasoline engine. You've got a thing called a exhaust and an intake manifold. Same word. Now, how is it a manifold? Well, it's a tube that's got a bunch of different openings. So what does manifold mean? Well, the English word manifold <clears throat> a fold is not a times. Here's a fold. That's a hundred percent increase. Many fold. And that's what it is. Many fold. Whole lot. That's what it means. It's a whole lot, all right? The manifold wisdom of God. How long can we preach on the subject? There's no end to it. The manifold wisdom of God. And this is to whom? Uh, the principalities. And the powers, I mean, that could be godly powers, that can be human powers, that can be devilish powers. Uh, look at uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians and verse 21. For far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only this world but also on that which is to come. <clears throat> Principality, Romans 8, Colossians 1, 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 6. Look at the 6th chapter of Ephesians. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's principality. We know those, those are evil. <coughs> so... You see, there is a spiritual world. He said, try the spirits of what sort they are. There's, of course, the spirit of God. There are good spirits, ministering spirits. The book of Hebrews talks about every child of God has ministering spirits. So there are good spirits. And there are evil spirits. And we're to try all of them. Don't take anything on the surface. Try it. Prove it. Prove it by the word of God. And if it's an evil spirit, get away from it. Anyway. So, that the assembly, that word church, let's just use the definition. Assembly. That the assembly, what kind of assembly? The Lord's kind of assembly, that's what kind. None else will do. This is part of our job to make known unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places 
the manifold wisdom of God. But now according to the reformers and the reformer Baptist so-called, according to them, the church that Jesus built died out in the dark ages. That's what they say. That's what all the Protestants say. And that's what all the Protestant Baptists say. That the church of the Lord Jesus Christ died out in the dark ages. And there was none on the face of the earth until along comes Martin Luther. And Martin Luther saved the church for the Lord. And then John Calvin and the rest of them. They came along and they did what Jesus couldn't do. And then they talk about believing in the sovereign God. I don't think they believe in one at all. My God's a lot sovereign, more sovereign than theirs is. He can deliver what he promises. Anyway. So. <clears throat> All of that, verse 11, I'm going to quit with this one. According, here we go again, to the eternal. Now, where does that eternal purpose, where does that take you back to? That takes you back before in the beginning. Amen. But we can't go there. All we know is there is God, and in the mind of God, is his eternal purpose, which he's never had any other. <laughs> it's never changed. His eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, when? Before the world began. My, my. The manifold wisdom of God. How is it? <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Pretty good stuff. Amen. Amen.